A bad idea, uh, and I've been around a lot. In fact, I've come up with a few myself. But a bad idea would be one that has no permanence to it. It's not long-lasting. A bad idea is when you try it, it doesn't really satisfy. It doesn't work out. A, a, a bad idea would be one that you find to be false. Um, a bad idea would be uh, something that's morally or spiritually dangerous to your life. Those are bad ideas. Um, I've been surrounded by bad ideas, and I just want to give you a, an I, uh, a thought or several thoughts or my experiences of some of the bad ideas I've been around. And as I do this, and please know that I'm mentioning uh, other, in some ways other great world religions or worldviews, because we're looking at really worldviews, not the religions. Uh, it's not that I disrespect the people who are in them. It's not that I think that um, they are um, uh, doing something evil. Many of them are very good people. Um, but because of lack of permanence or lack of satisfaction, because it's not true or dangerous. My experiences with many of these situations, uh, I call them bad ideas. 1968, I'm in Boulder, Colorado as a student. I hear this um, noise going on behind me. Here's some weird, weirdly dressed white guys and white girls with turbans, and uh, <clears throat> they're chanting, Hare, Hare, Hare Krishna. And so I decide, well, let's go up. I'm going to talk to him. And we had a certain discussion that got us nowhere. 1970, not in Boulder now, but in Net Netherlands, Colorado. I've been invited to this hippie commune, and it's gone Buddhist <clears throat> for a month. And they are uh, learning from their sensei or their, their mentor uh, as they are individually chanting phrases that they do not understand. That whole commune. Uh, lasted less than the end of the summer. 1977, I'm in Sydney, Australia, and I'm speaking to an ex-Methodist minister in the parking lot of the Baha'i Temple about his prophet, Bahalua. And uh, as we begin to talk, he says Bahalua is the only one that can bring all the world religions together and hopefully find world peace. Uh, the more I talked to him, the more confused he got. 1982, I'm in Colorado uh, hearing from one of the local school teachers about personal experience in transcendental meditation and how that's helped her reduce the stress in her life uh, that comes through teaching. 1988, I'm in Yucca Valley, California, and I'm visiting the infamous goat lady of Pioneer Town who relates to me about her involvement in Wiccan uh, covens. 1993, I'm in Yucca Valley again, and I hear the testimony of a person who was involved in devil worship for several years, and he does it in a local hidden canyon uh, out in that desert area. 2000, I'm in Sedona, Arizona, and we're attending this uh, timeshare. Here are the activities in this beautiful area of the country, uh, yeah, sort of... Sedona is sort of like halfway between the mountains and, and the desert. And it's a gorgeous country. And Barb hears about 
uh, Jeep tours, and she wants to go talk to the person about Jeep tours, but I hear a lady talk about harmonic convergence, and this being one of the centers of the New Age view of harmonic convergence. So I say, Barb, I want to go talk to her. And she gives a testimony about how she was healed and, 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 and how she... And I, I said, well, what physical healing did you have? Oh, I just feel so much better and released and whatever. I said, okay. Uh, 2004 in, in Budapest, I'm, I'm approached by a gypsy fortune teller who wants to tell me what's going to happen in my life. 2010 in Lyon, France, uh, I'm prayer walking with uh, Jonah Haddad in the neighborhood where he hopes to plant a church. And, uh, and uh, we walk by several Catholic churches and they're all closed. He says, look, free churches. I mean, they're, they're empty. We can, we can get one of these maybe. But we walk a, 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 around one place that is just bustling with people all around it, and there's the sign saying Scientology. 2012, Evergreen, Colorado. 2013, Evergreen, Colorado. 2014, Evergreen, Colorado. It it happens up here too. See, what we are surrounded by are Western expressions of what we call this new worldview, not a new worldview, but the third worldview of pantheism. Most of these worldviews emerge out of Asia, especially the Hindu and Buddhist religions. But now in the West, they, they have a flavor of their own because they're in the West and we can't accept anything in the, from the East. So in our study of four great worldviews here in our Western culture, it's time, I think, to examine, to expose pantheism American style. And every example I've given you, even though they'd be in other places, they're all in Western cultures, and they're all examples of pantheism. In other words, God is everywhere. And I call it secular pantheism because they can't really focus on one God and who he is. So we were looking at secular materialism that believes all we have is the physical world. And beyond that, there's nothing that exists. There's no source of truth beyond what we see physically. Then we went to secular humanism, which is different. Secular humanism believes that humanity, by working together, will form the perfect society, the utopian society, and it will breed the highest and most noble example of the human race. May I say, someone else tried that once. His name was Adolf Hitler. How'd that work out for him? Okay. Uh, And so... uh, now we're going to deal with uh, pantheism, which believes that there is spiritual life everywhere and in everything. And thanks to the Beatles in the 1960s and many uh, uh, more celebrities since, Americans have given their hearts and their fortunes to various teachings that promise new personal power and, and a higher human existence. And they're all around us, not just in time, but, but in location. They're all around us. So what is Western pantheism? And how do we define it? And what are the core values? Well, first, let me define it. The belief, again, a belief that everything in the universe is a manifestation of a universal spirit. It's defined as the belief, and unlike uh, materialism, which says there's no, no such thing as anything but the material world, there, uh, when you go to pantheism, they say, well, there is a universal spirit and it's everywhere and it's everything from rocks to rams, from columbines to George Clooney. Uh, everything has this uh, universal spirit around it, in it, works through it. And if you're 
around some ideologues and, and you put them together. Like, imagine a materialist and a pantheist, both ideologues coming together. One saying, uh, the, the only real, the only true reality we have, the pantheist saying, is the spiritual world. But you're around the materialists, and they say the only reality that we can trust is the physical world. And if you put yourself in a room with those two people, within half an hour, you'll start to believe you don't exist. <laughs> Think about it. Both are saying the other part doesn't even exist. Well, that's what their ideologues say. And as you look at, okay, so what do they believe? Because every time I talk to one, it's always morphed into something different. Well, it begins with this. The first core value of pantheism, Western pantheism, is that there is a universal spirit, and that spirit is everywhere. So the primary core value is the existence of an imminent universal spirit. If it exists, it has spirit. Or in their words, because it is spirit, it exists. Then we go to the very core teaching of Buddhism, which says to end suffering, you need to eliminate desire, and that's what is included in karma. So the next uh, core value is that our suffering is caused by our desires. There's no outward experiences. There's no uh, disasters. uh, They don't count. And this was taught by Buddha himself, who grew up in a privileged background and then finally escaped to see how much the world was suffering and figured, well, the problem has to be with them. So eliminate desire. If we, this is a quote, if we desire nothing, we will not want, strive, compete, or struggle to obtain. And thus, we will not suffer lack. And you see, that's where the, this whole idea of karma comes in. And we hear karma in Western words all the time. Uh, I'll explain. Uh, karma comes in saying, if we de- deny desire, then we gain good karma that will help us in terms of reincarnation to a higher and more pure being in the future, and in, in our next existence. But if we strive and claw and compete with one another, then we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting others and we get bad karma. And we come back in a lower existence, a rat or a flea or Vice President Al Gore. (laughs) You have to excuse me. I woke up Thursday night. That's the best line I've heard. Okay. I couldn't couldn't drop that. Uh, So it's not divine judgment but it's purely natural consequences of the choices we are making uh, against the, the good karma in the spirit world. Now, we say today what goes around comes around, right? And that's sort of an example. It just doesn't, you know, it's not talking about reincarnation, but we think in this life there's a sense of justice the way we live. If we live good, good will come to us. If we live bad, bad will come to us. But last week... Um, you heard a message on, well, wait a minute, that's not always true. <laughs> Sometimes it's not until final judgment where life gets even. Next, this great and wonderful phrase is the third core value. Well, if you're a good pantheist, you are spiritual, but you're not religious. Uh, that you're encouraged to be 
individually spiritual, but not individually or collectively religious. I first heard this from Jennifer Lopez in the movie Monster-in-Law uh, when she was asked by her mother, her future mother-in-law, what church will she be married in? And she responds, well, I'm spiritual but not religious, meaning I have no church. Well, that's fine. But really, uh, as one woman interprets that, she says, uh, I don't have a religion, but I'm a good person. That's what it means. I'm spiritual. I'm a good person. So I'm good in my own personal standards. I don't need a religion to tell me what is good. And it turns out by definition, they may be good, but we're finding that these people who claim they're spiritual but not religious are not all that healthy. In 2012, a study of over 7,000 people in three different groups was made. They, they, uh, they uh, surveyed the religious they surveyed the non-religious, non-spiritual, atheist, agnostics, etc., and then they spiritual, and then they surveyed the spiritual but not religious, and the result was the spiritual but not religious, the person Jennifer Lopez portrayed in the movie, were most likely were the most likely to suffer from depression and other mental illnesses. They take more prescribed and illegal drugs than the other two groups. They suffer more anxiety, eating disorders, and neuroses than the other two groups. They were mostly, they were the poorest educated of all three groups and had the lowest incomes. And yet, you find that where is pantheism greatly encouraged today? Educational institutions, especially secular universities. Pushed by the faculties as the best way to have mental and physical wellness, the only problem is doesn't work. That's a bad idea. Next, uh, in, in terms of core values, spiritual activity abounds. That's the final of the four here. Spiritual activity abounds, and there's spiritual transactions going on everywhere all the time. Now, most of us would agree with this because we say, quoting Jesus in John chapter 5, our God is always at work. He's at work in the world. He's at work through us. There's always spiritual activity going on. The problem with a pantheist is that in the spiritual activity, there's either the ethic is neutral, or it can be evil, or it can have, uh, uh, or it can be good. The universal spirit has no ethic. Now we believe that some spiritual activity can come from evil sources. We believe in angels. We also believe in demons. Uh, we believe in a good God, but we also know that a fallen angel has the name Lucifer or Satan, and they do evil in the world. The pantheists can't discern between the two. They just get caught up. So when Buddhist monks work on a prayer wheel or a mandala, sand painting that, that are so beautiful, they are depicting spirit activity in the world and especially the area where this sand painting is being done. But they can't qualify what the spiritual activity is. They don't know, and they will admit that. So I was reading the account of a woman who got deeply involved in many expressions of pantheism. Uh, from Buddhism to witchcraft to hallucinogenic drugs of LSD. 
and and she uh, put her search into, uh, and she said, really what I was looking for were two deep desires of my heart. And, and she says, I wasn't searching for God, but I was looking for assurance in two certain areas. First, I was looking for power in my life. I wanted to know that I have power to live more than just a mundane life. Now, this is a PhD in philosophy. Um, and so she wanted to know that she could have power over her own life and also over, over others. And the second thing that she deeply desired was to be able to call herself a good person. Power, personal morality. Power and personal morality. And she nailed it. You, most of the people you know, when you get down to it, I want to be able to live life well in terms of power, not to be a failure. But I also want to be able to call myself a good person. She nailed it. So there's many expressions, and I could go on and on and on, and I'd just be talking about you know these expressions of of, uh, of pantheism. Um, and if I did that, we wouldn't distinguish in terms of what the Bible says. But it started from Asia, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Confucianism, and Shintoism, yet all of these have in their native forms their own forms of witchcraft. And when it comes to the West, uh, such as the Beatles or, or, or other celebrities, uh, they look at that and say, well, you know, that's fine, but it's just not culturally acceptable. I don't look good in a turban. I want to have my nails done. You know, I, I, you know, and, and, you know, if I, they see me driving my Porsche around town and realize I'm a Hindu, they might get all upset. So it morphs as it comes here. And so today our expressions that you see would be things uh, that are more culturally acceptable. New age theory, new earth movements, transcendental meditation. Uh, there's one group called Engaged Buddhism that started in Vietnam, believe it or not. started in Vietnam and it tries to mix uh, uh, Buddhism with uh, uh, all of Western psychology so that people can have uh, informed power in, in their lives. There's this thing called A Course of Miracles, another experience I had in about 2011. And its founder says that she was channeling Jesus in her psychological methods and finding inner peace through it. There's scientific mythologies that claim that we're going to advance because we're going to have encounters as humanity. Humanity is going to get better because we have encounters with extraterrestrial beings. So they're coming to help us. What are we going to do with these movies that say they're coming to eat us? I can't quite figure it all out. Okay, Uh, And and so uh, when you look at who are the people who have championed this sort of thinking... Uh, their, their celebrities are Shirley MacLaine, Deepak, uh, Deepak Prak Chopra, uh, Oprah Winfrey, who constantly encourages us to find our own path to spiritual wellness. Choose your own goal, you know, and, and all this, and, and, and find your inner self and your inner spirituality. And I, I'm trying to say this. I, I love Oprah, and I don't mind watching her, especially if I was in the audience where she said, you get a car and you get a car. I mean, I would have loved to have been there. 
That's just trying to better my life, isn't it? Okay, that's a little selfish. Uh, uh, and, and so uh, we, what we have to deal with here is, you know, when we're talking about spirit life, understand the Bible's very clear about spirit life through the Holy Spirit. Very clear. And, and yes, there'll be different manifestations, but, but we go to one source, God's word, and there we find truly what it's all about. And, and it gets down from very early in Genesis to one way or the another, or another. So what we find as we look in God's scripture is God's spirit is evident and his people can be more grounded. Let me put away my knee pad here. I'll need that in about half an hour. But, um, <clears throat> It, it, it all starts with, well, where, where do we begin to learn about the Holy Spirit? How about Genesis 1, verse 2? That's a pretty good place to start. So in the beginning, okay, we understand that. Uh, but also in verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we believe that God's Holy Spirit is involved and present at creation just like God the Father and God the Son are. Now, you look through Genesis as it begins to depict humanity, and it shows very early on a choice of one way or another. And in Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to read this passage, and it's going to take a while, it sort of describes the two ways that are open to us. I'm beginning in verse 19, and it's talking about the first bigamy, or um, polygamy, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Up to that time, men and women had one spouse. Ad, Ada gave birth to Jabal, and etc., etc., and he raised livestock and lived in tents. His brother's name was Jubal, and this is what he did, played the harp and the flute, and Zillah also had a son, Tubal. Okay, now we get back to Lamech. Now, Lamech once gathered with his two wives in verse 23, and he said to his wives, Okay, I'm trying to be as much of a pig as I possibly can as I read this, okay? Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. You get it? What he's saying essentially is, I'm... I'm powerful enough to be my own God. I'm strong enough to make sure nobody takes advantage of me. And so what he's claiming is the power that I need. He doesn't even talk about goodness, but the power I need, I've got it all in myself. And then you see what happens is people like Lamech gather people together. His family grows and other families join him and they, they form a, a villages and cities and and, and uh, culture as we know it and society grows that way. Archaeologists have unearthed uh, many of these uh, towns almost too old for us to, um, uh, to really set a date on. But at the center of each of these uh, civilizations are ziggurats and they are dominated by a temple usually right in the middle of them. And if you want to know what these temples look like, they're similar not not the same, but similar to what we find in Mexico and Peru with those societies. Each society has put an object of creation 
a bird, a bull, a snake, a human, uh, a meteorite or something like that. And, and, and they put it in the center of the ziggurat. And this is what people are to be worshiping, a creature, something that has been created, not the creator. And if they appease the creature, then they will be safe, they will be strong, and they can consider themselves good. Now, that's one way. But now we look at the other way, and it says Adam, Seth, and Enosh. I continue to read. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. Seth meaning substitute And you'll find why right now. God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. And Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And now it says this. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. You have two ways. So clearly presented here. The one way of finding a a faith or a spirit or something that will sort of empower us in great and marvelous ways so that we can say, don't mess with me. Or you can find the other way in which uh, people like Seth and Enosh just lay themselves before God and say, God, we look at you as our protection. We look at you to tell us how to live. We look to you, not to a creature, but we look to you. Now, you go on into the rest of the New Testament, and uh, you find that uh, pantheists uh, are almost always making claims uh, that their God protects them. Um, but now we find in Luke with Jesus coming on the scene that the Holy Spirit, not the spirit world or universal spirit, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And so when he's baptized, the spirit launches him into his ministry with power, but that spirit is called the Holy Spirit, meaning he only works to bring about the moral perfection of God in the people on whom he descends. In other words, he's to make us like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is good. The Holy Spirit does no evil. That's why he's called holy. And he delivers us from evil. Then we go on to see more about the power of God's Holy Spirit. It says that all of them, this is um, at the day of Pentecost, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Holy Spirit is powerful, but this power is not to make humans feared and famous. The power of the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples to help them declare the praise of God in human languages that they did not know. The purpose of the Spirit of God is to bring glory to God, to the Father and to the Son, and not to a human being in whom the Spirit dwells. Do you get the difference? Two ways. In Acts 17, Paul is taking this tour of Athens as a self-directed tour, and he sees all these, all these idols that people are worshiping. And when he sees it, it says he, it, it makes him uh, distressed because they become so inclusive in their spiritual attitude. In other words, 
what they love are multiple gods. They figure the more gods, the better. Good gods, evil gods, neutral gods, as long as they don't have to trust just one god. And to this crowd, Paul speaks of the God of creation and the God of salvation. But Athens will have none of it because they hear that you want us to focus just on one who you say was resurrected. Athens likes innumerable gods. And that means we don't have to trust in any of them. And certainly not one true God. Because they could honestly say, we're very spiritual. But we're not going to be religious. Not the God. So as Jesus is preparing his disciples for the cruel, hard world that will persecute them, and and they're about ready to go out into the world uh, and go to places like Samaria and Egypt and, 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 and Greece and Turkey and Rome, as they're about ready to go to those places, he talks to them about what? The Holy Spirit. And he wants them to be informed about what the Holy Spirit does. What you can expect when you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And you might say, well, I'm going to do miracles. I'm going to heal. The hospitals will be empty. He doesn't say much of that. Here's what he says. He says, first of all, that the Holy Spirit will convict you so that you'll understand you're not good, that you need forgiveness. And then he says, he will teach you all things and he will remind you things. So the Holy Spirit is going to be telling us about, you know, what we should know for certain about God. And we have God's scripture now to uh, uh, enable to give us even more. And then he's going to remind us. And friends, time after time, I've been in conversations with the, in these examples where, you know, people have talked to me. And I, I've just said out of the blue, you know, and I really believe God is reminding me something from scripture. Because I wasn't thinking it when I went into that situation. Then in John chapter 16, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all truth. And finally, that the Holy Spirit will be bringing glory to me. How do you know the Holy Spirit is at work? The Holy Spirit is at work. Oh, this is hard. And this is off the cuff. Take this and think about it for a bit. The Holy Spirit is at work this morning. If you don't say, Jim, that was a great sermon. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is at work this morning. If you instead are saying, I'm just motivated to know more about God. You see the difference? Help me. Talk to me, but not about the message. Okay. Uh, no, but not, not what I did, but, you know, what God has, is doing. That, and, 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 you know, me. I mean, you know me. I, I'm just like everybody else. Oh, please, no more compliments. Please, please. I'm just like everybody else. And I, I know better. Finally, we're told that we're to keep in touch or keep in step with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we become aligned with his desires for our lives and we know we're aligned if we're becoming more like Jesus in our daily lives. We trust the power of God's Spirit transforming us so that we might become more of what we claim Jesus is. 
In other words, we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see Jesus there, and we say, Lord, only by your Spirit can you transform us to make us more like this Jesus. And we're not looking at making ourselves more into a celebrity. This is a great story. You gotta, you gotta hear this. This new age diva was uh, having a dinner in New York City with a, with a very elite crowd and a very elite restaurant. They had to pay hundreds of dollars just to go and hear her. And of course it was going to, much of the money was going to a charity, which is a good thing to do. And so when she was done, uh, she noticed that, you know, that some reporters had been there because she was quite a celebrity and they wanted to write down what she was saying. And then she and one of the reporters go separately into the parking garage and it turns out they park very close to one another. Very close. So as they're very close to one another, uh, the new age diva is really in a bit of a hurry. So she uh, puts her big lumbering car, a big car, in reverse, and she can't quite make the turn as big as that passageway is, and she backs right into the reporter's small little car. The reporter has not turned on his engine, and the reporter <laughs> is still in his parking spot. She gets out of her car, and she's so huffy, she says, This is your fault! And she starts claiming, if you know, it, you know, it, 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 just huffy and puffy and very, you know, almost like Lamech, you know. And he looks at her and he says, very clearly, very calmly, this is who you really are. And of course, that humbles her. No, proud people don't get humbled. Come on. So what does she do? Then she says, I'm calling my lawyer. I want your name. I want you. Okay. And she gets all this information. Then she gets in her car and runs right out. But before she does, he says, just before you go, let me just say one thing. This is who you really are. He said it twice. And friends, I guess that's what the Holy Spirit does in the believer. He's continually telling us, this is who you really are. And Jesus is who I want you to become. Let's pray. Wow, God. We live in a spirit world, and I agree with the pantheists in that there's spiritual life all around us. But thank you that you have pinpointed for us the Holy Spirit. God himself in spirit form who enters our lives through faith in Christ, who remains there, but is also working in nations and, 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 he's, and he's working in societies. Lord, if, if there's any way to explain why Israel still exists surrounded by almost a hundred to one people who want them dead, it's the Holy Spirit. And so we understand as we are here today, Lord, we're going to be involved with these people. And there's two things, probably several things that we can share with them. First of all, something they will never understand. In Christ, we are forgiven. Another thing they will probably never understand. Our God loves us. It's not just that he exists, but he has a personality.
that has shown us what love is because his love gave his son, Jesus. And our God is at work, active, answering our prayers, walking ahead of us, giving us direction how to live. Our God is doing great things in the world and for us. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.